You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. When in our childhood, in in our teenage years as a young married couple, when this moment happens, and that, and that we, we feel that moment of hurt, and again, we don't know, we, we don't plan this. This isn't something we schedule or that we organize. It happens in an instant. When that hurt comes, and we know we don't want to feel that hurt anymore, then we're exposed, we're vulnerable because of the humiliation, because of the trauma, because of the embarrassment, whatever it happened to be. We're exposed in that moment. And that is the moment when Satan loves to come and whisper and say to you, well, it's because you're weak. It's because you're poor. It's because you're alone. It's because you're worthless. It's because you're not good enough. You see, Satan will come and whisper those words. And because we already feel that, it's very easy for us to agree. And, and suddenly in that moment, again, and, and I don't have a, a great way of describing this, but Hami's sitting back there with, with sunglasses on. This room looks different to him than it does to anyone else. Again, what if in that moment, this is the best way I can describe it, what if Satan just kind of drops this veil over your head? Yes, you can see through it. You can see all the action. You can see all the people. You can see the coming and the going. But what if that veil is tinted blue or purple or red? Then everything you see is going to be altered, adjusted, and skewed by that veil. And I would ask you, what, after that moment occurs, have you ever seen that is actually true? Nothing. Nothing. Again, conceptually hard to process. What do you mean I haven't seen anything that's true? I will tell you when Satan slipped that 16 years old, he slipped that veil over my head that says it's because you're poor. Everything I saw was adjusted by that veil. When he said said to others, it's because you're weak, everything they see, every event, situation, relationship is adjusted somewhat by that veil that says, It's because you're weak. It's because you're not important. It's because you're insignificant. Anything that he says, and he really doesn't care, as long as you will believe it in the moment, he'll slip it over your head, and the world becomes altered by that veil. I hope that's understandable. Because what happens in lives is what we're actually doing in ministry is discovering the source of that, the color of it, the identity of that veil, and removing it. And I will assure you that is a dynamic moment in any person's life when they get to see things for the first time. I don't know how many times someone has been delivered and they look back on situations that they would stand with their hand on the Bible and say were true, this is what happened to me. These are some of the things that I saw, some of these things that occurred in my life. And when the veil was lifted, they'll come back in a few weeks and say, I've just realized that never occurred. 
or I talk to one of my relatives and, and I'm telling them this story about my deliverance from that moment. And they're saying, what moment are you talking about? I was there in that moment. That moment never even occurred. It's amazing how many people looking back after deliverance are realizing that, that the memories that they're processing was actually a story they were told or a dream they had or somehow they had filled in the blanks of stories and gaps. And many of those things, some of those things are not actually as they thought they were. It's amazing to watch it happen. And, I, and I'll have them come back for several weeks saying, and there was another one, and there was another one, and there was another one, simply because the veil is gone. But the most significant thing we do is not taking the veil off, not taking off the rose-colored glasses. I was, I was having this conversation with someone just this past week, and they were looking at me through these rose-tinted glasses. I thought, quite an interesting moment when I'm talking about this, and they're looking back at me. And if I were to have asked them, you know, what color's the room? What color's the chair? What color's the furniture? What color's my face? They would have gotten it wrong because of the lenses they were looking through. Well, my responsibility, your responsibility, is not just to get rid of the colored lens. It's to replace it with the lens by which Christ sees so that I can see the world as he sees the world. That we, we come across that this morning already in the music time of this, so that we could actually see what he sees. Not just important that we get rid of the old, but that we take on the lenses that are actually Christ. I, many years ago when I was leading music here, there was a song, and I, I couldn't find this song easily. I, I certainly, I couldn't find it sung and I couldn't even find out who wrote it or who sang it. But the name of the song was, Lord, let me see this world as though I were looking through your eyes. Anybody remember that song beside me? Yeah. Let me see this world as though I were looking through your eyes. And beautiful song. Now there's there's another one out uh, by Brandon Heath, And this is the chorus of it, and I'm not going to sing it. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your ears so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. Do you think it would matter? Do you think the Christian world would behave somewhat differently if we had the eyes of Jesus, if we saw the world, if we saw our neighbors, if we saw the people sitting to our left and to our right, even sitting here this morning as Jesus sees them, would it make any difference that by the Holy Spirit we would have the mind of Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. Everything would change if we simply would ask not only to get rid of the old, but for our prayer to be, Lord, let me see this world as though I were looking through your eyes. I want to tell you our hearts would break. We would be very humble. We would recognize what he sees. We would be joyful when there are miracles. We would laugh when, there, when things are funny. I will, but I assure you the thing that would happen that would shock us the most 
is that when I look into the eyes of people who look like they have it all together, everything working, everything clicking, they've got the right house, they've got the right clothes on their kids' backs, they, they've got the right car, they've got the right stuff, and, and something broken in their hearts. I want to talk to you this morning just to share one area. I had a, I had a thought early in the week and I never could quite raise the thought to the level of a sermon. But it wouldn't go away either. And so as the Holy Spirit began to grow that thought, he finally grew it to the place where it was the message for this morning. Uh, kind of all questions were settled at that point when the anointing fell on it. I start with this truth, this reality. Because... This is God showing us something through his eyes. He wants us this morning to see what he's saying, but he wants us to see it through his eyes. I start with this truth, this reality. Jesus was sent to earth with great and specific purpose. Say, Randy, that's kind of an understatement. But here's a list of the few. He was sent as Emmanuel, God with us. He was sent to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God through him. He was sent to be the expressed image of the Father and to introduce us to the Father's name and introduce us to obedience. He was sent to be the great revealer of truth and that would bring freedom to prisoners and those who were in chains and those who were broken. That's not even debated. Generally, practically accepted to be true. Nor is the teaching that we have been sent with a purpose. Just like Paul, as Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus, we recognize that, it, that Jesus said, I'm going, to, I'm going to send you as a witness because there was a purpose for Paul. We read in Galatians chapter 1 that the, that the father wanted to reveal his son in him. So we, we recognize, looking at all that Paul wrote, that there was great purpose in Paul's life. We understand that John was the revealer of truth as well. These men were, were, were established with great purpose. So for us to recognize that we would, we would say in the Christian world very truthfully that we are created with a purpose, created for a unique purpose. Now, I want us to stop right there and just wrestle for a minute. And I, want, I really want, I want everybody in, in, in that's here this morning to really process this, but I re I'm really going to ask those who are still in school to begin to consider this question. And I, I know that it's typically easier to just sit here and let this hour pass, but I'm going to actually ask you to be engaged in it this morning. I would like for you to ask yourself, do you know, are you so absolutely convinced this morning that you were created with a unique purpose? That life is not this bland, general, just wherever, wherever life goes, but that God had a design as he did, as, as the Father did for him, as we read about in Paul, we read about in John, that, that Jesus says that we are born with a purpose. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
So we, we, we recognize, again, these topics are not generally debated. He was sent with a purpose. We read about those in the Bible who were sent with a purpose. We were sent with a purpose. But here's the question. This is where, this is where the, the thought rose. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10 to introduce this question. Verse 8, Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I want to tell you there is clear purpose in our understanding that we are his workmanship. So here's the truth of this original thought that he shared with me. We are consistently and honorably trying to improve our own and others' capability so that we're functioning at our full capacity and ability. Let me say that again. It's a constant, it's continuous, almost perpetual, that we work hard at increasing an individual's capacity so that they can work at their full capacity and their full purpose. We find that every day in a school system. Every grade, every test, every lesson is designed to increase a child's capability. And we often say, I just want you to be able to perform at your full capability. We don't, I don't want you to slack off because I know you're capable of so much more. And, and again, I'm, I'm saying we do that. It's honorable. We challenge our students to do that, to get better, to lift more weight, to run faster, to increase their capability. We find that in industry, we find it in, in every training session. We find it in every performance review trying to increase the capability of an individual to increase the value of the human resource, the technical resource, the mechanical resource, and we work hard at increasing it. Parents are diligent in this at home, trying to teach responsibility and change and increase what a child knows and the capability of them doing it. It's not wrong, but it does lend itself to a very necessary question that we ask, and if we can, we need to answer it. Because here, here it is. If we are designed by God, and we are His workmanship, His design will determine what our minds, our hearts, and our hands Design, shape, form, produce, create, unless we betray that design. Now, I want this to make sense. We are his workmanship. So that means that he had a design for his life and that he has written the design for ours. That design produces, should produce what our hands do. It should produce what our hearts do. It should produce what our minds do. This isn't, this isn't difficult. 
You know, Parker, Parker coaches, coaches a, a student in lifting with a purpose. That purpose is I want that child, to that student, to replicate what I just told them. I want them to do what I just designed in their practice to actually do. Again, this is not confusing. Does anyone here understand what an apple tree was designed to do? Produce an apple. Are we confused about what a peach tree is designed to do? No. Are we confused about what a pecan tree is designed to do? No. By their identity, by their design, the outcome is already determined. Isn't that something? That by the design, if I'm going to say that I'm created with a purpose, that God designed me for a purpose, then that, that design should produce the outcome unless we betray that design. Now, wouldn't it seem odd if we walk up to an apple tree and watch it trying to produce something else? Wouldn't it be interesting to go up to that pecan tree and say, why are you trying to produce an orange? Well, because somebody told me that I wasn't supposed to produce apples. I tell you, we get this and it's, it's almost nonsensical. But transferring that thought to us is remarkable. Recognizing that I have been trying to climb this ladder and I am working diligently trying to get up that ladder. I am paying a price. I'm going to school. I'm learning lessons and I am climbing that ladder only to recognize somewhere in my life that that ladder has always been leaning against the wrong building. How many of us have those questions? To look back across our life so many years and realize the years committed, the time committed, the resources committed, to climb this ladder to increase capability so that I can function to my fullest. Every performance review that I've ever had was done with that intention of increasing what I could potentially do. How strange it would be to recognize that now the ladder has been leaning against the wrong building. I've been climbing hard. But the design for my life was, was against this building. Been climbing. Just did it in opposition and, ab and actually against God's design for my life. Again, we're not confused about what an apple tree is supposed to do. Why, why bring this up? Well, there's two reasons. One is because I want to tell you it's never too late to move the ladder. I don't care how old you are. It's not too late to move the ladder because God even says, I will give you back. In the book of Joel, he says, I will give you back all the years that the locusts have devoured, that which you feel like you have lost because of that effort, because of the time past. God says, I will give it back. You step into the design that I've given you and I will assure you that you will recover the time lost. God can do it. So it's never too late. 
I don't care who you are sitting in this sanctuary and say, it's too late, I've committed my life to this. No, it's not. I will assure you that God is waiting, ready, with a design for you. Waiting. The second reason, and to me, the one that was pressing on my heart, is I would truly ask you if you've got children or grandchildren in your home, help them find that design early. Now, I'm not talking about whether they're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm not talking about careers. Because the apple tree is going to produce the apple, whether it's sitting here in Sundown or Loveland or Lubbock, because it's not, it's not a matter where it is. It's functioning by design. If, if, if God's design for me is wisdom, would that wisdom be, it wouldn't it be strange for the wisdom to be just reserved for my office? You see, it's, wisdom is designed to, to go everywhere the Holy Spirit goes inside me. If your name is encouragement, where does it go? It goes everywhere. It's not about, it's not about the things we do each day. It's about being who he made us to be each day. The apple tree's identity produces the fruit. Our identity will establish the purpose. Again, why Satan want to put the veil over? Because he's trying to take away that identity that God gave you and replace it with something else. Replace it with a veil of a different color. So we see the world and never even see the design that God has for us. That's the most sinister thing that he does. I, will encur- I just encourage you. Parker asked me this question a couple of years ago. What's the best way to protect Liam from all that the world's going to throw at him? Well, I know the answer that we typically give is train him well. Do this, do this, do this. Read the Bible. Help him read the Bible. All that's increasing capability. I'm not saying it's wrong. But there is no defense like helping a child hear the design for their life early. So that when something is coming against them, when you tell them, I watch you, your your courage, God reveals to me, your name is courage. That's who you are, your strength. And you begin to speak that over your child. I will tell you the resilience and the resistance to the world's voice will dynamically change. And then we won't be trying here to, to send them to my office so that we can get rid of that identity 20 and 30 and 40 years later. Let's do it early. Let's recognize that God has a design for that child that's living in your home. And he says, I will give you the eyes to see it as the parent so that you can speak that over them, children and grandchildren. Jan said this last Sunday night as we were going, looking at that piece of the shack that we looked at last week. She said, I wish we would have known this when we were raising our children. I so absolutely wish that I could have spoken over Jay, over Aaron, and over Kate. By revelation, what God was showing me about them. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of what they can do. I'm proud of who God has established them to be. But I wish I could have done, a, done, done some things to avoid some hurt, some brokenness that I know they walked in, some of it by my mouth, by my heart, by my hands. I wish that I would have known this. Well, you have an opportunity to know it. 
Because when there's a young man in his 30s coming to me and telling me about this, this difficulty in his life, I wish somebody would have caught him when he was 15. I wish somebody would have recognized that his heart was broken at 15. And that the one, that he, the one person that was standing there willing to, to open their mouth was Satan. And God was, was standing there just waiting for a voice to speak it, waiting for a voice to shout it, waiting for someone to see it, waiting for a word to come to tell this young man, you're not that, you're not what you're thinking, you're not that, that identity that you've, that you've taken on. That's not you. So I'd ask this question this, this morning, recognizing that here we are now as adults with a design is the, is the production of your hands, your heart, your mind, the evidence of his design? Again, I'm not talking about your occupation. That it can be included. I'm talking about what happens in your office each day, what happens in your home each day, what happens in your vehicle each day, when you're out with others at dinner. What happens in those moments? Is God's design producing what it's supposed to do? Understanding that design begins with identity. Who does God say that you are? A few weeks ago, we had many come and share just that thing, who, who God says they are. But after that, understanding continues with specific purpose. The identity will help reveal it. What was God's purpose for you? Understanding continues with spiritual gifts, the suitable abilities and talents that match perfectly the identity and the purpose and the call. You see, it's all a match set. The identity, the purpose, the call, the spiritual gifts. And finally, the understanding continues with his desires that he's written on your heart. You will even dream dreams. Kendall and I talk about this from time to time. When changes are coming in your life. Have you already started dreaming of the changes? Because that's the Holy Spirit. For Darby, moving out here, and her fiance, I would suspect, knowing that they have grown up under Kendall's teaching that he's taught them, one of the ways that you'll know that it's God is that you will find yourself dreaming of being there. You'll imagine classrooms. You'll imagine hallways. You'll imagine driving through town. You'll imagine walking in church. You'll imagine, you'll dream, and you'll consider I tell you, it's one of, the, one of the more powerful ways I know how God's giving me general direction is because I begin to have thoughts about what that would be like. What would that be like? What would that be like? And we recognize what God's doing. He's matching our dreams with his purpose. Shouldn't surprise us. It's exactly who God is. He's our father. He's our daddy. That's what he does. One more verse, Proverbs 20. These are Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. If the identity of your child was in a deep well, would you be desperate enough to pursue it? I would want that so badly. 
If the purpose of my child was written somewhere and it, had, and it, had, it, was, it was in this deep water, I would find some way. Because I would want to know that so badly because I would want to speak that over my child as soon as I could. The purposes of a, of a, of a, of a mind, of a heart's deep water. But to, but to diligently pursue it so that we can speak it over one another. Especially, especially, especially to our students. To the children in our home. To our grandchildren. To tell them who they are. I'm going to ask this question tonight so those of you who are here will have a head start. In, in the movie The Shack, I'm coming to the point tonight to ask, what was Mackenzie's false identity? It would be very easy for us to say, well, Mackenzie, it was your fault. You did this and you did this, it was your fault. Identity, though, will always have to be preceded by the word are, A-R-E. Because that's what Satan will whisper. No, Mackenzie, it's because you are to blame. That's the identity that he was carrying. You are to blame. You want to know why this? You're to blame. You want to know why this? You're to blame. So what's the veil over Mackenzie's head? How does he process everything? You're to blame. It's your fault. I tell you, sitting here this morning, I'm so grateful for those whose veils have been removed and whose lenses have been changed to see what Jesus sees. It's changing workplaces and it's changing lives. But there's so much more to do. So much more to do in families, so much more to do in school, so much more to do in business. So much more to do in our neighborhoods. People are hurting. They look across the street at us as we get in cars and drive to church and never dawns on them that maybe there's an answer, maybe that we're the person who could answer what, what, what's causing them to hurt. What are your hands producing? What's your heart and your mind producing? Is it according to his design? I can't answer that. I can only answer it for one. And I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. That's, arrogance in me has been beaten back so far. There's just not any left. But I'm so glad that I know today that I'm functioning by his design in my life. Father, we thank you today for this message. I don't know where it'll hit home. I don't know to whom this message was intended, maybe all in some way, in some manner. But I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that you will bring it home individually, uniquely into each heart. We were designed to be so different. But your Spirit can bring this Word, your Word, and let it find a home in hearts It's a time of examination. It's a time of encouragement for parents to realize that what a great opportunity they have for grandparents, what a great opportunity they have to speak goodness and truth and design over their children and grandchildren. Not because just what they watch, but because they sought you 
they knew how to get into that deep water. It wasn't to dive in and swim hard. It was to recognize that the water was too deep and recognize that someone already knew what was, what was in that deep water. Thank you, Father, that you are a revealer of truth, that you're willing to tell us about our children. You're willing to tell us and show us who our grandchildren are so that we can function in that identity, so that we can have your eyes, so that we can have the mind of Christ, as the Scripture says. And we can see the world the way you see it. So that love will abound, forgiveness will abound, healing will abound, brokenness won't have a chance, it will tremble, the darkness will tremble. Because it sees the power coming. It sees truth coming. It sees revelation coming. And the darkness will tremble as the singers begin to sing as we speak truth. Lord, thank you for this powerful reminder this morning. You you came with the design. We are your workmanship with a design to produce something that was on your heart, on your mind, for our life to produce. Thank you, Father that you've given us the identity that will produce it. And we'd have the, we have the willingness and readiness to discover it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.